Welcome to Highlawn Baptist Church in St. Albans, West Virginia, where our mission is to know Christ and to make Christ known. For more information, visit us online at highlawnbaptistchurch.org. We're so glad you've decided to join us, and now we invite you to grab your Bible, if you're able, as we pray that you will be blessed by the preaching of the truth of God's Word today. check out your copy of God's Word with me and turn to Ephesians, the book of Ephesians chapter 2, or rather the first epistle to the Ephesian church. Does anybody know where the second epistle is located? How many of you were with our Wednesday night study last year? Last year. There are two letters to the Ephesian church. This is one of them written by Paul. The second one is actually uh, dictated by Christ Himself in the book of Revelation. It's the church that He writes to first in chapter 2. And both letters are interesting from a Christian perspective. If Paul's definitive work on Christian theology is the book of Romans then one of his definitive works on Christian ecclesiology, the study of the church in her mission, come to us from the book of Ephesians. And that's why we're going to start in on it this Sunday. Ephesians chapter 2 gives us a little bit of insight as to our place in the kingdom of God. In Ephesians chapter 1, Paul begins with this wonderful, uh, lengthy Hebrew poem on our position in Christ and our possessions in Christ. He tells us about how we have been chosen from the foundations of the world, how in God's knowledge of past, present, and future, He somehow manages to mingle together, uh, paradoxically, His will and our lives. Charles Spurgeon once said that it might not be on any earthly anvil that is forged, But I suspect that God's sovereignty and the free agency of man are two things that are yet combined through the scope of eternity. In other words, it seems like a paradox to us, but in God it's made complete. And how that works, I don't know. Does it work? Absolutely. Is God in charge of everything? Yes. Can people choose? Yes. How does that work? Apparently very well. I don't understand it. The greatest Christian theologians that have ever lived don't understand it. No one's ever been able to give a satisfactory explanation of it. However, we know this. Before the foundations of the world were laid, Christ's mission was already established. Before creation sprang, God knew you and His love for you, and the lengths that He would ultimately go to to rescue you from an eternity outside of His presence. We're going to study a little bit more about how we fit in individually into this great organization called the church. But the church is not an organization. That's a harsh way of putting it because when we think of organizations, what do we think of? We think of corporate entities. We think of IBM. We think of General Electric. We think of Union Carbide. We think of Dow Chemical. We think of constituted entities that are there to make a profit. That is not the church. 
The church is the bride of Christ. The church is the hands and feet of Christ. The church is the ministerial body, a family forged together through Christ's blood, made up of different people from different languages, different nations, different races, all political barriers and corporate barriers, all the man-made structures that separate us from each other, that deny the very image of God from neighbor to neighbor have been destroyed in the church. And through the blood of Christ, a new, not just group of people, but a new family has been forged with Him as our elder brother and God as our heavenly Father. So, the church is an interesting thing too. How do we begin church membership? We begin church membership by confessing out loud, being in front of everybody else, that we don't deserve to be there in the first place. You ever think about that? Church membership begins by us admitting that we are not perfect, that we are sinful before God, that we are rebellious against God, and that we have nothing to do with God except for the fact that His love has sparked within us what will become to be, come across as the regenerative process of salvation. For faith cometh by hearing, and hearing the what? The Word of God. Is this a Baptist church this morning, or did I wake up Presbyterian? Would you say amen? amen. Let's celebrate our faith a little. Church membership begins ultimately, particularly from the Baptist faith, when we confess our sin, when we plead God's grace for forgiveness, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, lest anyone should boast. Put a pin in that, we'll come back to it. We have to abandon self-determinationism, self-promotion, self-centeredness. We have to abandon pride. We have to knock down the, the, the walls that, that prevent our heart from being able to reach God and thus reaching out to people made in His image. We have to turn from sin and self-focus and turn to God-focus. We have to accept, in other words, the Lordship of Christ. All too often we hear pastors preach on the Savior but not of the Lord. Be not conformed to the ways of this world, but be ye transformed, changed by the renewing of your mind through the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. What is valid outside the church house is rarely valid inside. And we need to keep that in mind. What is acceptable to the carnal condition of human society is not acceptable to God. We ought to preach that more often. We're going to get to that in just a second. But we accept the Lordship of Christ. And here's the clincher in becoming a part of the church as we discovered during Covenant Sunday, on New Year's Sunday, we have to place others above ourselves. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church for which He gave His life. This is how we are to be with everybody. You will, they will know that you are my disciples. If you make a big deal out of yourself, if you put yourself out there as a supreme leader or as a, as a wealthy person, no, they will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Esteem others as greater than yourselves. So Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, one of the shorter chapters in the Bible. 
many verses that they take as, as partial sentences. But when you get there, say amen. We're getting there. We're getting there. Kathy, more coffee in the morning. Starting with verse 1. Now, this is what I mean by the church is a place for imperfect people. As for you, you were what? Dead in your transgressions and sins. Your rebellion, your imperfections, your human nature, your carnal nature, your desire for yourself above all. You were spiritually dead, incapable of any good work, incapable of pleasing God, incapable of having a relationship with Him. You were valueless, you were worthless, you were just a pile of matter. You were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the person that believes he's in charge of all things spiritual, in other words, which is who? Satan, the devil, the enemy. The spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us, notice us, he's including himself in this writing. All of us who lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. In other words, even if you wanted to do something claiming that it was for good in an echo of Christian virtue, you couldn't do it in the back of your head. Your actual intentionality behind those quote-unquote good works was personal. Jesus teaches about this in the Sermon on the Mount when He tells us to never, as you're putting your money in the offering plate, do it in secret. Don't even let the left hand know what the... Right hand is doing. Don't make a show of it. Because if you make a show of it, who is that glorifying? Yourself. Outside of the influence of the Holy Spirit, it is impossible to do anything beneficial for God because the underlying foundation of whatever it is you do is always about gratifying the self. That is human nature. That is the old carnal nature. Like the rest, we were by nature... Deserving of wrath. The church is a place for imperfect people. The church is a hospital for the soul. If anybody here claims to be perfect, get out because you'll mess the rest of us up. There's only one perfect person ever welcome in any church. And that's Christ himself. All of us need to recognize this because this is how church destruction begins with somebody thinking, oh, I'm better than that person. I give more than that person. I do more around here than that person. I'm more Christian. I'm more spiritual. I, I teach. I give. I'm rich. Therefore, I can do more things. I can build more gymnasiums. I can have my name stamped on the side of a building. That's not the way it's supposed to work. You do everything unto the glory of God, not for yourself. The spiritual dead are incapable, even though they may wear the badge of church membership, if you have not taken upon yourself the regenerative nature that is bound out by repentance. Forgiveness is predicated on repentance. Unless ye all repent, ye shall all likewise perish. You have to turn away from the self in order to come alive in Christ. It's a prerequisite for forgiveness. It's a prerequisite for the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit of God. Without that, we are still under the old nature and we are spiritually dead. 
But in a place like this, in a place of mutual accountability, in a place where we have the covenant relationship of love, in a place where we come to know Christ and to make Christ known, where we open the bread of life on a daily basis and hear the word of God through the voice of our Savior, once we are saved, then we continually conform to His image. We are in a a process that we call sanctification, where day by day, moment by moment, as we are turning from self and turning to Christ and Christ alone. For those of you that can't see this online, I'm pointing to the picture of the Good Shepherd on our stained glass window. As we are conformed more and more in this lifelong process, we become the person that God has redeemed us to be and created us to always be. But it takes that commitment of laying it down and seeing one another as co-laborers and as co-strugglers. There is no one better than anybody else. There is no one person who is a higher Christian than anybody else. Some of us may be more mature in the faith. Some of us may be growing in the faith. But all of us are on that level playing field. All of us require God's forgiveness. All of us require the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit of God. All of us require accountability to God. All of us require His love, His forgiveness, and His grace. Amen? So the spiritually dead, by definition, is an incomplete person. We are built like Him. We are built in His image as a trinity. The body, which is the physical presence of who we are, the the life support unit, if you will, that is able to interact with things, smell, see, touch, taste, and so forth to talk with one another, to listen to one another, to read together, and so on. But there's also the soul, the person that we are supernaturally, the person that will go on after the body is dead. We are the personality, the memories, the emotions, the mentalness. In fact, psychology means the study of the soul, the part that will go on once the body has died. But there is a third component that each of us were designed to possess, designed to be in constant communion with, designed to have as a part of us, and that is the Holy Spirit of God. The body who is the physical, the soul who is effectively the mental and the eternal, and the spirit that is God within us, dwelling within us, changing us, transforming our nature, making us spiritually alive. So without the Holy Spirit, we are an incomplete person. We are a slave, as Paul puts it, to the desires of the body. We are by our very nature rebellious against the things of God and incapable of righteousness. And as Christ would tell us in John 3, I believe it's 3.17, we are automatically condemned. And guess what? That's all of us outside of Christ. Each and every one of us outside of Christ. We are automatically condemned. Why? Jesus himself tells us, Just two verses after the most famous verse of all of Scripture. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever what? Whoever does not believe stands condemned. Already, you don't have to wait for the judgment to find out. If you deny Christ, if you do not have Him as your advocate before a holy God, if you did not accept Him as your substitutionary atoning sacrifice for sin then you are automatically condemned before a righteous and holy God. But God loved you anyway. God created through through eternity past a pathway for His righteousness to be fulfilled 
and for His grace to abound. But it's up to us, once that invitation is accepted, to come to Him. Paul goes on, verse 4, Because of His great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Even while we were dead in transgressions, it is by His grace, unmerited, undeserved, unearned love, that you have been saved. And God raised us up in Christ and seated us with Him on the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages He might show the incomparable riches of His grace expressed excuse me, in His kindness to us in Christ Jesus. In other words, there is nothing that you do for salvation. Let me repeat that. There is nothing that you do to earn your salvation. It is holy from Him. The work that was done on Calvary was done just as if we nailed Him there ourselves. And He gave it freely for you. Your salvation is a miracle. Your salvation is a miracle that is put on display before others. Both for the sake of your soul and for the sake of others. Paul wrote it there. Your salvation, part of it is the evidence that God uses to bring others to Himself that He might show the incomparable riches of His grace. For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. If you do not have this committed to memory, do so right now. Mark this in, highlight it in your copy of God's Word. Make sure it's underlined or that the reference is printed somewhere in the, fly, in the flyleaf of your Bible to make sure it never leaves your heart. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one should boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Take up that cross and follow me, I heard the Savior say. As that old song goes. Your salvation is not just about you. Write this in your notes. Your salvation is not just about you. While it is God's free gift of love extended to you, as we just read in Scripture, it also has the profound impact of anyone that witnesses it, anyone that sees the difference that that regeneration makes in your life. We are saved from something to something with a purpose. Part of that purpose is a calling of good works that God has prepared for you to do from the very outset of creation itself. He knew you. He fearfully and wonderfully made you and equipped you through the course of your life, strengthening you for something that you are called to do. Something that you are called to do for the sake of the body of Christ, which is the local church. Something that you are called to do for the capital C church at large in your day-to-day -day life. But you are not just a pew warmer or a pew potato. You are called to be a minister of the Most High God. For we are a peculiar people, a royal priesthood. Each and every one of you are a representative of God, a royal ambassador sent out with a purpose. 
a purpose that He has equipped you to perform. You are being sanctified moment by moment, day by day, through your exposure to the Word of God, listening to the voice of God, being regenerated by the Holy Spirit of God with a purpose for the sake, not just of yourself, but of others. You are going to be, if you commit yourself to this purpose, if you equip the Holy Spirit of God and do not deny His call upon your heart when those moments come in your life, you are the person who could very well be the messenger of salvation to somebody who needs the gospel of Christ. Pay attention to those opportunities. Because as we just read, you were created in Christ's image, redeemed, sanctified for the sake of the kingdom, not just yourselves. Therefore, verse 11, remember that formerly you who were Gentiles, meaning all of us, everyone born outside of the commonwealth of Israel, that formerly who were Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise without hope and without God in the world, outside of Christ. If you look in our ancient history, there is no way that you would have ever come into contact with Christ. If, if Israel kept God in a box in their own kingdom, what are the chances that we would have ever come to know the true name, much less the true face of our Creator? Christ eradicated those boundaries. The boundaries of race, the boundaries of nationality, the boundaries of language, the boundaries of difference. Christ eradicated them all in favor of the fact that you, as a human being, are created in His image and therefore you are eligible to be a son or daughter of the Most High God if you accept His grace. Everybody that you come across, no matter what they've been through, no matter the sins that they have committed, no matter the way that they've lived your life, their life, no matter the things that they've squandered in this life, everybody you come across is a potential brother or sister in Christ. Everybody. We need to remember that and how precious to God that human soul is before the next time we go out to Kroger's and pay 20 bucks for a carton of eggs. The person that we see down the aisle may very well be the person that you are called to say, Hey, how are you doing? Are you going to church anywhere? How is it with you and your family? Is there anything that we can do to help? I want you to know that we love you and that God loves you. A simple five-minute conversation, though it could be awkward in the first minute and a half, may that be the difference in someone's eternal destiny. Verse 13, excuse me. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For He Himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in His flesh the law with its commands and regulations. There is no class in the, in the church. There is no... In the Baptist church especially, you'll notice that hardly any of us wear the robes. The reason behind that is that we understand that the clergy and the laity are not two separate classes of people. They are different, um, different vocations, so to speak, but they're not class divisions. 
There's no high, middle, upper, lower classes within the church. There is no black, white, yellow, red. There are no distinctiveness that separate us as brothers or sisters. There is only, are you saved? And if not, let me introduce you to him who can save you. Part of what he's telling them here is he's telling the Jewish believers, don't look down on the Gentile believers. They are your brothers and sisters. Just the same way that in 1 Corinthians that we talked about a couple of Sundays ago, you who are rich should not look down on those who are poor, but you should help tend to their needs because they are your family. There is no distinction. All of us were once condemned. Spiritually dead, spiritually destitute. But all of us who accepted Christ are now spiritually rich. Share it. Don't look down upon your brother and sister for anything, but lift them up and make them feel that they are as blessed and favored as they truly are. Guide them. Walk with them. Be accountable to them just as they are accountable to you. The level field on which we meet Christ. In the beginning, we all hated God by our very nature. Nevertheless, God what? God loved us. We discovered that we can't work for our own salvation no matter what we try to do in that circumstance. Nevertheless, He did what? He gave us salvation. In the beginning, we weren't a people. We were scattered from among the nations, divided by hate and human reason, which is all but folly. But through Christ, what happened? God made us into the church, a new, not just nation, but family. We, who were outside of the commonwealth of Israel, were without purpose. But God gives what? He gives us each a calling, a purpose, a mission, a ministry. He equips us for it. Saved for good works that He Himself knew and planned out for before the foundations of the earth themselves were laid. Before Christ, we were without position, but in Him what? God made us His children. Sons and daughters, prince and princesses, princes and princesses of the King of the universe. That's what Paul is telling us. Back in the book of Romans, he also told us about these class distinctiveness and all that. It has nothing to do with human reasoning. That's folly. But God will repay each person according to what they have done. To those who by persistence in doing good seek glory, honor, and immortality, He will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and who reject the truth and follow evil, there will be wrath and anger. There will be trouble and distress for every human being who does evil, first by the Jew and then the Gentile, but glory, honor, and peace for everyone who does good, first to the Jew and then for the Gentile. For God does not show what? Favoritism. God doesn't care how much money that you have in your checking account. He cares about the condition of your heart and how that leads you to do what you do with your resources. God doesn't care how much free time you have. He cares about the condition of your heart 
that leads you to what you do with that time, what you do with your talents, what you do with your knowledge, what you do with everything that He has given you to reinvest into the work of the kingdom. His purpose was to create in Himself one new humanity out of the two, going back to Ephesians. Thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which He put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away, and peace to those who were near. For through Him, we now both have access to the Father by one Holy Spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of His household, more literally members of His family, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus Himself as the chief cornerstone. I, I hate it when I see people advertising for a, a workout facility or for a gym somewhere and they say, my body is a temple. That's not what that means. What Paul is piggybacking on here is the understanding that your body, so to speak, the physical you, is home not only to your soul, but if you are in Christ, if you're a regenerate Christian, your body is also home to the Holy Spirit of God. Therefore, you are being built as, as bricks, if you will, within a new kind of temple where God dwells. God does not dwell in buildings like this, but He dwells in you. That's why you are the temple. You are a representative of God. You are a new kind of Ark of the Covenant that carries His presence with you. Wherever you go, He, the, he is as well. Christ Himself said, wherever two or more are gathered in My name there, I will be in the midst of them also. So it's not about the condition of your musculature. It's about who you are sealed with. Christ Himself being the chief cornerstone. In Him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. This is another reason that theologically I have an issue with a, with a church that deems itself a temple or a tabernacle because no building anymore is a temple or a tabernacle. You are. In Him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling place in which God lives by His Spirit. It's the power of grace. God gave you salvation. God gave you the gift of Himself through the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit of God. God gave you a mission individually which you are personally being prepared for and exercised for on a daily basis. But all, God also gave you a family to help you, to bless you, and to be blessed by you. Again, every time that you miss a worship service, every time you miss a gathering of yourselves together, you rob yourself of a blessing that you are designed to receive, that others have been designed to give to you, 
And you are robbing your church of a blessing that you have been designed to give to them. That's why we are commanded in Scripture not to rebuke the gathering of yourselves together as some are in the habit of doing, but all the more so as you see the day approaching. Each day, each hour, each minute that passes by that brings us one day closer to the day of the Lord is a moment where we should be getting more intense, not less. More spiritually anchored, not less. More involved with the work of the cross, not less. More supportive of each other as brothers and sisters, not less. More into the education of ourselves as disciples, not less. For each passing day, we should grow more in our spiritual formation. We should find more excuses to come together for the sake of fellowship and training. And we should discover more reasons to do good together so that other names may be written in the Lamb's book of life. So through grace, sin is forgiven. Through grace, your heart, meaning your very nature, is changed, regenerated, renewed. Excuse me, David, the king, didn't write, renew my heart, O God. He said what? Create in me, brand new, create in me a clean heart, O God. Boundaries become irrelevant as far as geography is concerned. Class distinctions become irrelevant. Enemies become reconciled because they become family. All are equally in need of forgiveness, and yet all are freely offered the gift of salvation. The church is a place for imperfect people to come together and meet a perfect God. A place where we all come before Him and are offered His love, the fellowship of brothers and sisters, the encouragement, the teaching, and the ministry that we need to grow more and more into the image of His Son. Not seeing each other as job functions or job descriptions. Not seeing each other as potential favors, but seeing each other as family. Brothers and sisters who were all in the same condition and all now in the same mission. In the case of Highland Baptist, to know Christ and to make Christ known. And all God's people said, Amen. And our all-wise and loving Heavenly Father, as we conclude the service of the Word this morning, we come boldly before your throne of grace with this petition to renew within us a spirit of recognition, to not see our brothers and sisters as people without purpose or people without value, but to see your image within them, to know that the people that are on the street, the people who are in the shops, the people who are at our jobs, are not merely people who are, they're not merely, merely furniture, <coughs> but who are potential brothers and sisters, people who are made in your image, people who carry your image, people who we are called to love. So set us aside for this purpose, to love one another just as you have loved us, to love our neighbors in such a way that they may see your Son within us, may feel the conviction of the need for salvation, and may come to you before it is everlastingly too late.
And as we enter now the time of invitation, if there are any that have yet to know that love, any who have yet to know you in a free pardon of sin, any that may be simply looking for a new family to call their own, Lord, whatever the need is on any heart, open us now. Open us now to you to respond to your call, to dedicate ourselves fully and completely into your hands without reservation. Whatever the need, draw them forward and use us to offer them the tenderness of your embrace. In the matchless name of Christ, we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us at High Lawn Baptist Church. We pray that you were blessed by today's message. At High Lawn, we believe that when you love God, you share His Word. When you love others, you spread the gospel. We would love for you to join us next time, and if possible, to join us in person, to contact or learn more about us, to donate to our ongoing ministry, or most importantly, to learn about the salvation offered to you through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Visit us at highlawnbaptistchurch.org. Once again, thank you, and God bless you.